Hello and welcome to A Future Made. I'm Anna Pajajski. I'm a material scientist and writer. And I'm Robbie Armstrong, a reporter and journalist. Together we're bringing you A Future Made, a podcast by Harriet Watt University. In the series, we find out how pioneering research at Harriet Watt in the fields of science, business, psychology, technology, design and engineering is helping to change the future, solve the problems of today and make an impact on the global stage. Today, we're speaking to academics in the University's School of Textiles and Design, a centre of excellence in design, bringing together talented students from across the globe to study collaboratively in fashion, design and textiles. The theme today is the social fabric of textile design. We hear from Lucy Robertson and Ewan Winton, as well as Gobin Shah, on how textile design can engage, entertain and create change. Plus, we'll chat to a Harriet Watt alumna. I am so psyched for this. All of those words that you said at the start are like my key interests, like materials, society, design, engage. Here we go. I'm ready. Great. Right. So first up, we're going to hear a conversation between two assistant professors at the School of Textiles and Design. So that's Drs Ewan Winton and Lucy Robertson. And they've both recently finished their PhDs, which they did alongside design and lecturing. So Lucy's work explores the facilitation of creative workshops for well-being. So they utilised waste materials to understand how waste can be used as a resource to create and repair products. We, we've touched on this with previous episodes. She explores the ways that communities can connect through shared learning, through making and then exhibiting their work at the end of the process as well. Ewan explores the opportunities and benefits that can be gained from designers working with lay people, for want of a better word, and the impact that this has on design approaches and techniques. So this practice is known as co-design or co-creation, and it's been used in the creation of lighting, which is one of Ewan's design interests, and artworks in urban environments, as well as healthcare interventions and dementia support too. It's super important and kind of intuitive that if you are going to design things for an end user, why not bring the end users into it, kind of further up the process and involve them in the design? They're both based at the Borders Heriot Watt campus, but I caught up with them in Glasgow in the only quiet space we could find, which was an office that was regrettably a little bit too close to a banging door at the exit <laughs> of the office. So sorry for the intermittent loud noises. You probably wouldn't have noticed them, but you will definitely notice them now that I have said that. Both of us have been working in areas of design with people living with dementia. My work was about co-design and actually opening up opportunities for people with dementia to, to express themselves. At DJ CAD at the University of Dundee, I looked at interactive textiles for well-being for those living with dementia. Similar theme to Ewan's work, but mostly working with communities and, and looking at kind of empowering through creativity and sort of exploring what that means within community, within heritage, within place. So yeah, it was very much shaped by the the people and the experts at, at the centre of the research, uh, mostly living with dementia, but also maybe living with people living with dementia. So I guess that's uh, something that we 
are both very passionate about and it's this thing that design opens up boundaries for us so all the way through what we've been trying to do is is think about capabilities we had to have overcome a lot of ideas of stigma around dementia and how capable people were in being involved in the research we were doing and, and kind of reinforcing their rights and responsibilities or opportunities and, and ways to shape their own lived experiences. It's very, very key to us that those approaches give the recognition to the individuals. And it's one of the things that's incredibly surprising in what we do. I found, they would say, oh, never thought people were with dementia were capable of this. I've got dementia and I've done it. Uh, so it's not just about changing public opinion. It's about changing the opinion that people have of themselves. And I think Lucy's had very similar kind of experiences where people surprise themselves. But as you take that stuff out and offer it to communities, they suddenly think, oh, that's very different to how we've always thought about dementia. What the experts at the centre, those people living with dementia, wanted to do with the, the research and the activities was raise awareness of their dementia-friendly communities. So I worked in the Outer Hebrides and I worked in East Lothian. It was about empowering them. It's about learning from their experiences and also learning with them, I suppose, about their experiences. So I use creativity and kind of making and workshops to as a sort of social object or activity that which allowed us to get into these deeper topics. We're valuing people, putting them at the centre of the experience and kind of recognising that they are the specialists, they are the knowledge creators for ourselves. We can only watch from the outsides and understand from the outside, no matter how much we want to be involved in participating with people. Let's listen to Lucy and Ewan explore co-design and research through design in a bit more detail and the way that these processes of design can be used to benefit communities. We really entered into friendships where we were doing stuff that was exploring. Yeah, so I think it's important probably at this point to talk about the emotional impact and experiences that you have working with people generally. I mean, design for, for us, I think, is all about people. It's about working with them and learning from and with them. But there is that emotional tie, especially when you create these communities, these relationships. And I think that was a huge part of my PhD and, and part of my thesis. I had to reflect on, you know, why the approach that I use through design, I, I don't call it co-design, but it's similar, <laughs> research through design, and how that affected me as a researcher, but also how it affected my communities, how it affected their carers, their the wider um, sort of ecosystem that was involved in supporting these communities. And I think it's still taking me a wee while <laughs> to process that as a researcher, but also just, yeah, those relationships and those friendships. And because of COVID, you know, inevitably that was cut off a little bit. That's such a reality across society at the moment that it kind of brings in that well-being aspect and it brings in the why, not just to understand how creativity could empower those living with dementia and design could empower, but also the wider context of well-being in society. And I think it's something that we're now sort of exploring through lots of different means uh, with lots of different communities. So a huge finding or theme that came out was identity. So not only the identities of those living with dementia and how that diagnosis affects maybe how they feel in themselves and also how the society sees them, but also the identities of the carer. So straight away their identities change because they become a carer. 
but they're still that person <laughs> they were before and there was something really interesting in my research where the serendipity of the fact that these people living with dementia would never have met unless they had dementia and these communities coming together. I had grandparents who had dementias, uh, very different kind of experiences. Some people very short-lived, some people... We could identify points that might have been decades long. Everybody goes through dementia in their own way. It's, it's a very, very personal journey. And what I found there was suddenly me thinking, right, what value do I bring to this? What can I do to help? I could stand back at times and go, I don't think I did anything there, which was great, because what that showed was people felt empowered to grab hold of opportunities and make them happen. You mentioned before about how this brought in culture, brought in kind of localised visions, made little communities that supported one another. And one of the things we've not talked about so far is the outputs that we've generated, or not we've generated, that people with dementia have generated. I ended up having a shop in Glasgow where every product had been designed with someone who was living with dementia. This just kind of shows that, you know, people can be kept involved in part of rich community vibe by being there and doing stuff. And it was amazing. The, the conversations of, you know, what people preferred and this is tied to the idea that we hold on to our emotional memory for a, a very significant part of the dementia journey. So even if you can't find the words to, to kind of say what you think of something, you can express it in, in different ways. And I've, I came across that um, in, in all sorts of places within the, the, the approach. But key to that was me changing, softening, finding that being able to have conversations, being the butt of jokes, I found a lot of humour in people with dementia, was brilliant. And then it was no longer conducting research, apart from afterwards you had to think, OK, what, what happened there and why? It was about that, that sense of real camaraderie, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of the time we were having quite a lot of fun. <laughs> I was talking about the emotions, um, you know, that there's lots of hard ones that we have to process as individuals, but at the same time, and these social objects, these social activities created so much laughter amazingly frank conversations about everything that was hard and easy to talk about so death to um, you know I had one participant planning their funeral and telling me all about it and it was really important that we talked about that and I tried it with my family it's not as easy um, maybe I need to do a workshop with them you mentioned joy earlier and that's a huge part of you know what I looked at as well and, and just those moments of, of joy and actually thinking about those moments of joy as impactful you know even if they are fleeting those living with dementia you know they're not, they're not the only difference really is that they're living with dementia they're, they're people they're they're amazing I used to teach a design module and we would always teach the students about this so-called design loop which is design make test so you design something you make a prototype, then you test it. And based on that test, you then redesign. And you keep going round and round and round this loop iteratively until you've fine-tuned your idea or your design. With this, it sounds like they're trying to kind of short-circuit that loop or make that loop much more efficient by bringing the test aspect into the design aspect. So like step three becomes step one. And so rather than the designers guessing what the end users want and then making it and then seeing if that hypothesis was correct, they get rid of all that middle stuff 
and just ask them at the beginning, how can you help us design this to best suit you? Mm -hmm. and, and it's asking the question, what would design look like if the community's needs were placed at the heart of it from the very mm. you know, first step? It sort of strikes me a little bit like a park that could be designed with paths in it, or you could design the park without any paths, see where the desire paths are, and then put in proper paths after that point. So rather than trying to you second guess what the needs of the users are, you work with them in a dialogue. We'll be back with more stories from Harriet Watts School of Textiles and Design in just a moment. But first, we're going to hear from a Harriet Watt graduate about how being at the university is giving them new and brilliant opportunities out in the real world. So here's alumna Caitlin Butler. Hi, I'm Caitlin Butler and I am an accessory designer and e-commerce designer at Love at Mill. I studied fashion and textiles for my master's and I studied um, textiles for my undergrad specialising in weave. I was motivated to go to Heriot Watt as it was one of the best universities in the UK for textile design. Doing my master's helped me um, change within my career and allowed me to look into other avenues of sustainability and going forward I wanted to work for a company that had the values that I held as a designer. And so now I work at Lovett Mill as an accessory designer and e-commerce designer. I met Lovett through Headache Watt when I was in my third year at university and one of our lecturers asked me if I wanted to do an interview to try and get an internship. So then in my final year at university, I worked for them throughout two summers and also worked one day a week um, where I learned on the job and got to see firsthand the full textile processes. What I love about working for Love at Mill, it's a great place for working with sustainable fibres and it's amazing to actually see all of your designs come to life there in one place and all of it's made in Scotland as well. If you want to find out more about studying at Heriot Watt, go to www.hw.ac.uk. You're listening to A Future Made, a podcast from Heriot Watt University with Anna Pozhajski and Robbie Armstrong. So far, we've been hearing from designers at Heriot Watt School of Textiles and Design. Still to come, the psychology of colour. Plus, how Ewan's research group reimagined textiles in response to Billy Connolly's 75th birthday murals in the city of Glasgow. So I think it's time to hear a little bit more about how the pair carried out their respective research. We did textiles in our project. We did 75 BC textiles, so that was uh, Billy Connolly stuff, and it was quite interesting. There was a dozen designs uh, that the group came up with, and then... I turned around to them and said, you know, can afford to print three of these? And they were like, well, um, we want these four <laughs> at these scales and in this kind of repetition. And, and in the end of the day, I was like, OK, let's do it. And what was great was we were able to get further funding to to then create products. And they were brilliant. They, they prototyped their own products. So I was going in thinking when we're Doing workshops, I was always told stay away from scissors and don't do this and don't do that. And you know, ultimately, I was in there going, yeah, the people making stuff that feels very 
normal when I was getting told, no, that's not how you, you design that. It should be this way. Or I had someone tell me how I should rewire my house. Um, but the, the whole process was really rich because we got physical objects. We got the textiles out of it. We got other objects. How, how about the, the stuff that you generated? How, how did that develop? Yeah, so I suppose first I should explain interactive textiles, which was in the title of my PhD. So interactive textiles, I kind of, the way I looked at it was that they, when interacted with, made some sort of like sound or lit up or, you know, did something. So they weren't just textiles as you know them traditionally. Initially, one of my first studies was sonic flock. I crowdsourced a flock of birds. Over 80 were knitted and sewn in the Outer Hebrides or and, and around Scotland, really. We had knitted birds, but we also had birds made from Harris Tweed. Um, and I'm handling one of the Harris Tweed guys. And I've sort of basically put a little circuit in his belly which when you bring his wings together um, allows him to tweet his his song um, because he's made of Harris Tweed he's not a specific bird uh, but some of the knitted ones were more specific and had their, their own song that was relevant We exhibited them, over 80 were exhibited in, in Anlanter space um, all hung from the ceiling, it looked amazing, a flock and then after that, we gifted them around the care homes in the Outer Hebrides and we're recording those conversations that came up, again, looking at social objects, looking at the birds as something that can enhance or encourage um, hard and fun conversations and joy and understanding how people interacted with objects as well, textile objects in particular. Um, and again, that comes back to the place. So the Outer Hebrides, some of them are made for Harris Tweed. Uh, a lot of the people I was talking with worked in the mills. So yeah, there was just this whole kind of circularity to it. I'm right in thinking you used uh, waste materials eventually because those were abundant and available on the beaches around the Hebrides, which I guess leads into what we're about to do as an exhibition in Galish Hills in the, the, the coming year. We've learned to work with people in a really kind of collective together we and now we're trying to take that kind of approach and work with different communities and different people and continue themes that started with people with dementia. Uh, some of my projects used waste so yes we looked at beach waste which was collected in the Hebrides it's a particularly good place for um, getting some amazing rope from the beaches and then using those in our craft bombs so we did little flower woven flowers out of those. And then the other thing we looked at was uh, Harris Tweed kind of offcuts and and waste as well. And yeah, it definitely has shaped, that research has shaped what we're doing next with the Great Tapestry, with the exhibition um, called Metamorphosis, around how uh, we can reimagine and speculate the use of waste. But also, again, I suppose it goes back to how society views something and maybe how we want to change that view or widen it. Can we reimagine that use? Can we claim back what's currently in landfill and start to use that as resource as the next step in design and making and creating and we're seeing that as a continuing development because we're still looking at sustainability we're looking at health and well-being we're looking at placemaking and how we remain relevant to to local industries and people um, we really hope to be able to through this practice open up new opportunities to work with diverse groups and people who are genuinely interested in improving situations. I mean, that was just a joyful segment, wasn't it? Hearing Lucy and Ewan talk in this way, there are clearly so many important angles to take on trying to understand this disease from 
the medical aspects to these sorts of projects that involve and support and create community it's it's almost like research and and design as like a form of therapy where you're just you're listening and learning before you then make a decision you're not coming into it and trying to give a, a diagnosis or a prognosis you're just being a sort of open book for a large part of the the research and then only afterwards do you look back and actually work out what is it that we've learned from them and not trying to impose your subjective views or even your objective scientific learning onto what they should think or feel or what they need or anything about their lives. You know, you know nothing until you've gone to where they are and listened to them and, and learned. That word circularity that was mentioned there that I think kind of encompasses a lot of it because it's circularity of materials it's circularity of the design process. It's kind of encompassing of communities and sort of breaking down the barriers of the ivory towers as they've traditionally been sort of siloed away. And one of the key findings seems to be about the ways in which we can empower people with dementia mm. to change attitudes towards dementia itself. So it's just giving people, it's like passing the microphone mm. and just seeing what, you know, the group wants to say. So there's a circularity in that they'll come back to the idea that really we need to design more spaces and more processes in which people with dementia can, you know, do exactly what they want and have the agency and freedom to do what they want and, and then maybe change the way that we think about dementia. Mm. So it's flipping everything on its head that actually maybe it's us that need to stop and learn rather than try to create top-down approaches mm. to help people with dementia. Maybe we're just getting it all wrong. Um, and my grandma really benefited from art, I guess it was sort of like art therapy, really, which mm. the work that Lucy and Ewan are doing is so much more than just art therapy. Obviously, there's a therapeutic use, but it's got a far loftier aim and loftier results. But my grandma went away to a daycare sort of centre, you know, an elderly care centre mm. and would paint little pictures and stuff. And then it, I knew that my grandpa was into art, never my grandma. And she would show me these with such pride and mm. she was just full of joy. And it was something tangible that engaged her, mm. you know, know emotions it engaged her memories her eyesight it was tactile and it was just like a wonder it was you know such a joy to behold and it was this whole other aspect of her character that I hadn't seen before Gobin Shah is an assistant professor of digital design and innovation he works in color design immersive and transformative experience design and data driven design as well so very sort of intersectional research. And he works with various industrial partners and his design products have been applied in healthcare, education, business, fashion, and engineering as well. So he did a PhD in colour psychology and immersive experience design. And what he was looking at was the impact of colour on people, on their emotions, on their cognitive performance, their cognitive abilities in the real world, but also in a virtual reality environment as well. So they assessed their brain activity in these immersive colour systems and then looked at their cognitive performance by using psychometric tests. And they did this while using backgrounds of different colours on the computers. So really, really interesting research. And he sees these indirect connections between colour psychology and textile design and a sort of potential, maybe an untapped potential from colour psychology that could benefit textile design. 
Basically, my PhD work explores the influence of color on people's emotions and cognitive performance in both real-world environments and virtual reality environments. And this was done by evaluating the study of participants' brain activities and their source-light LED system, as well as their response time and error rate when completing psychometric tests that were performed in various hue backgrounds on a computer in both the real-world environment and the virtual reality environments. Design potential of color on well-being, behavior, and performance, as well as the need for understanding cultural differences in the meanings of color in the context of fashion textile, healthy care, gaming, marketing, and user experience research. All right, and here is Gobin on how colors can be used in different fields, such as textile and design as well. In my PhD research, I got lots of findings. For example, purple is the best color for you know, for triggering people's creativity, which is promote people's lateral thinking, you know, abilities. So if the purple environment could better trigger people's creativity, I think there are lots of potential that we can effectively use that color in the design studio or design environment, maybe the wall color to stimulate, you know, designers' creativity. And also, another example is about green is the most erosive color, which I can say is the best color. As such, I think there are some potentials to be effectively used in kind of like vehicle interior design to support the driver's concentration while driving and also maybe support the driver to reduce the level of impulsiveness and tiredness. We could effectively use green color in the textile design in the car interiors to promote, you know, driver's concentration and sometimes impulsiveness levels, which is very, very important to the safety considerations. So I guess I'm just trying to imagine a world in which Gobin's research on color psychology is enacted using the principles of co-design or design through research or participatory design to try and transform our built environment, you know, our schools, our public transportation networks, you know, our homes, everything, you know, our cars, and how much better these environments could be if they were site-specific, culturally specific, mood-specific. There just seems to be masses of untapped potential there that touch upon so many different aspects of society. Yeah, and it's something that we've said all through this podcast is the importance of collaboration sort of across disciplines and across the kind of spectrum of approaches from the very human-facing and human-interested subjects all the way through to, you know, science and engineering. And I think this is quite a nice case study because design, in my mind, as somebody that sits quite far on the engineering end of the scale, design is a very useful midpoint, I think, on that scale where designers have to incorporate the practical needs of a building or a system or a piece of textile, as well as the human side of it and bring those two things together. And so within a school of design, that function can be applied to so many different areas. And so although textiles 
from the top of this episode might have sounded like a bit of a strange place to start. Actually, it's about bringing those two ends of the spectrum a bit closer together and making something that is both practical and fits the wants and needs of the end user. And it feels like a perfect area of research to finish on as well, because the themes today we, we've heard are all about, you know, how we should participate and collaborate and engage with communities. And there's actually research that shows that designers create better, they create more innovative designs than when they're working on their own, if they do it in collaboration and if they do engage in, in co-design. So that just seems like a great mantra and a great theme that we've parsed out from all these different areas of, of research at the university. It's always been when two different departments or a department in an industry or different researchers have collaborated together and learned from each other and engaged in dialogue that something greater than the sum of the parts has emerged. A little bit like you and me, Robbie, doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just needed a useful idiot all along. Have you ever thought about bringing like uh, just a little tiny brained individual along to your science communication talks and then you can just <laughs> bounce off me because I'm so daft? Not at all. Asking the real questions and holding us to account. <laughs> we can circle back here to the work that Lucy and Ewan are doing at the Great Tapestry of Scotland. They are using this exhibition, Metamorphosis, and every two weeks, the exhibition itself will metamorphose, so it will change, mm. and they will you know, repurpose and change the composition of the exhibition. So it's constantly in flux, constantly changing. That exhibition seems like a great example of the sort of evolving nature of Harriet Watt's work, and also Gobin Cha's interdisciplinary research and how it's being used across a broad range of fields and different contexts and industries as well in these sort of exciting innovative ways and that's from a school that dates all the way back to 1883 so you look at how the school of textiles design at Harriet Watt has remained relevant for so long it's remained at the cutting edge in these really fast-paced worlds of fashion and design and is really driving this sustainability into its, its course and into its, um, its design principles. So I think all of these aspects have played a really important part in the longevity of the course and the school. While maintaining its roots in place and the importance of tradition in the school as well. Thanks for listening to A Future Made. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss an episode. Just search for A Future Made. Or you can head over to Harriet Watt University's website at hw.ac.uk.